0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back. We are going to start this episode with a quote from the beloved, esteemed, wonderful human, Maya Angelou. She said, do your best until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. Boom. Roasted.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who we're roasting, but lots of people just got roasted. Yeah, you did. Uh, including us.
0: Yes. Oh. So. More, more so Steve than me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> whoa, whoa, no, no, because you're I, a man. <laughs> no, I, I mean, that's about today's episode. I'm just saying that we first recorded this episode with the wrong, like, laptop microphone of low quality.
0: Oh my gosh. So that meant forty three minutes of our unedited recording. ...was recorded on the wrong microphone. So this is our re-record because we did our best on that first recording.
1: We sure did.
0: Yeah, we did.
1: Yeah, but now we know better.
0: We realized, oh my goodness, it was recorded on the wrong mic and it sounded like poop.
1: So we're going to do better. Yes, we are. And part of doing better, as what Jen was trying to allude to, is our episode today kind of taking down Christian patriarchy. And so before we get going, this is a mea culpa of sorts for me, because I have to admit, even if I wasn't actively subjugating women, the fact that I was complicit or ignorant in in the subjugation of women within the evangelical church, that's a problem. I can't use my own ignorance as an excuse because now that I know better, I need to do better, and that includes an apology for being embarrassed by the fact that I let that keep happening, that women can't teach, that women can't preach, that women can't be elders in a church, even though I have plenty of healthy respect and love for women who taught me growing up. We are Red Weather Christians. I'm Steve. And I'm Jen. We're here wading through the murky waters of what it needs to be a Christian in modern society.
0: Thanks for pressing play today. Please join the conversation about the Christian faith or about life in general.
1: Today, we're looking at Beth Allison Barr's book, The Making of Biblical Womanhood.
0: Such a good book! Highly recommend. Five out of five stars. Find me on Goodreads.
1: Now, if you want to know my Goodreads, I did rate it a four out of five stars, mainly because it's <gasps> what? a... I, oh you, my god! How did you not read my review?
0: Oh, I didn't remember.
1: Only because... I mean, it's a history book, really. And how interesting is history sometimes?
0: I loved this book so much. I was fascinated. <laughs> yeah. It was like a page turner for me. I was annotating and underlining the whole way through. It was awesome.
1: And then the other reality is I'm feeling embarrassed through most of the book that I'm a man and I've let this happen. Like I've I've been a part of this system.
0: So maybe your embarrassment played out in that four out of five star rating, Stephen. It absolutely
1: did. No, it did. And that's what I'm saying. Like, ah. Anyway, I try to have a very, very high bar for a five star. Well, Beth Allison bar, I
0: thought, upheld the high bar for me. Five out of five.
1: We've got to cut some of that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're just going to start with some basic questions. like, What is Christian patriarchy? Where does it come from? And why does it still exist? Before I go to the Christian patriarchy question, we just want to talk about patriarchy in general. What is it?
0: Well, it's it's something that we've been dealing with through the ages, and it is male-dominated society.
1: In a very positive light, it could just be a male-led society.
0: Yeah, dominating is a little bit more of a harsh term, but or, I, I or, think is accurate. Right,
1: now I was going to say harsh reality. Yes, So the main point of that is that because patriarchy has been historically what humans have dealt with, it's not really different. It's just kind of what the Greco-Roman society that the Bible was written in was a part of.
0: Right. And Beth Allison Barr is a historian. So what she does is she goes all the way back medieval times. She goes to the early church, and she talks about how the early church was kind of rebelling against secular society, and a huge part of secular society was patriarchy. So the early church is trying to be set apart from that. Here they are holding meetings in their homes where men and women are in the same room, which was just a crazy thing in that time, but it's showing how that early church was saying patriarchy is not what we want.
1: Yeah, so sometimes we might look at the specific verses in the New Testament written by Paul and really hate on Paul for writing them.
0: Yeah, there was a time in my life where I was just like, oh my gosh, I hate Paul. I hate Paul. And reading Barr's book, she showed me that what Paul wrote has been translated and interpreted differently depending on what time period you're in. So right now, the way we tend to interpret Paul's writings, yeah, he comes across as kind of a jerk to women.
1: So if we look at the entirety of Paul's writings, we actually see him mentioning women, even if it's translated differently to what role they were, but he's mentioning them. The mere mention of women in the society as relevant meant something drastically different from the secular society he was in. So what is Christian patriarchy then, if that's not what Paul was trying to write about? What a good question, Stephen.
0: I don't have a great answer for you because I don't understand. I don't understand why we are just holding on to this patriarchy so tightly when it doesn't even seem like logically it was what the early church wanted
1: or what Paul originally explained. So in very simple terms, Christian patriarchy is nothing more than the adjective Christian <laughs> yeah, in front of male-dominated society. So right. then we end up with male-dominated Christian churches.
0: But you know what? You know what Christians oftentimes do, Steve, is they use a more euphemistic word for patriarchy, and it is complementarianism. Ah yes, ah yes. How you are my complementary angle. And by that, what Steve means is that I, as a wife, complement Steve. And complement spelled with an e, not an i. So I'm not just complimenting Steve. Like, oh, your hair is looking really good today, Steve. Why, thank you. It's like I am a compliment to Steve. In the form of a meek and submissive wife.
1: Uh, She is neither of those. (laughs) Uh, So don't let her just tell you things.
0: No, what I'm saying is that in a lot of Christian communities, the idea of complementarianism is a euphemism for patriarchy. (laughs) Yes. Where the man is the head of the household, the man makes decisions, and even the, the woman, if she has any issues let's say with the church, doesn't go to the church first, she goes to her man first, her husband.
1: So now that we have Christian patriarchy kind of defined here, how does it hurt the overall message of Christianity?
0: Okay, I do have a quote here. Can I read it?
1: You can. Okay,
0: from her book. She says, In a world that didn't accept the word of a woman as a valid witness, Jesus chose women as witnesses for his resurrection. Woo! In a world that gave husbands power over the very lives of their wives, Paul told husbands to do the opposite, to give up their lives for their wives. In a world that saw women as biologically deformed men, monstrous even, Paul declared that men were just like women in Christ.
1: Okay, so the last thing that was from Aristotle, he thought that women were deformed men, kind of weird, kind of silly. His views on women, I did not learn. I wouldn't have liked
0: him very much had I known all that. That's just all a side note.
1: Thanks for that. The first part that Jen mentioned was about uh, Jesus' resurrection being witnessed first by women. This brings me back to my friend, Gail.
0: My friend, Gail.
1: Yes. (laughs) When I would hear her do the resurrection talk at Young Life, we would work through the gospel every semester. And she always mentioned this. And I loved it, that how awesome it is. That women have this role in being the first witness.
0: Jesus chose who he wanted to give this information to, and he gave it to women.
1: And they went and told the apostles.
0: And this is in a time when women were not allowed to be witnesses in a court of law because they were women.
1: Yeah. And so even when the apostles heard this from them, they're like, oh my gosh, really? And they ran to see it for themselves. Now, I think regardless of the women here, they would have run to see it for themselves.
0: Right. But it could be that they're like, I don't believe you. I've got to see this to believe it kind of thing.
1: Or I need to see it so that people will believe it because they're not going to believe you. They're going to believe me.
0: Yeah. But it's just an example of Jesus upending these cultural norms. And I think it's all about the early church, Jesus showing us that we need to be different from the secular world, to be set apart. And a huge element of that is women. Because forever, women have basically been subordinate humans
1: to men. So who wins and who loses when women are told to be silent and submissive?
0: Well, I would say that everybody loses. Everybody loses.
1: I mean... Even the men who have the power, do they lose? I think you're right though, because what they end up losing is a valuable voice that can be just as transformative with the gospel. Because it seems like conservative evangelical efforts suppress women's voices to teach and preach the gospel, you're losing half of that voice. And ultimately, because you're suppressing that voice in the church, there might be some disgruntled half of your population of the church not agreeing with that and a revolt.
0: Well, interestingly, we've been hearing this more and more coming from conservative evangelicals, and that is that men and women are different. Men and women are different. They think differently. They're built differently. They're biologically different. All these differences. And they're really highlighting that as, you know, such a wonderful and amazing thing. And yet they're the same people who are saying women are so different from men and we're not going to really allow them to have a voice. So then you're just not getting that difference voiced in, say, an interpretation of the text. That seems really illogical and dumb.
1: So if everybody loses, why... Is it still promoted?
0: Well, there's the question of eternity.
1: (laughs) Yes. So some people still wonder, okay, Jen, Steve, nice topic, but what does it really matter? I mean, women, they generally prefer to be a wife and a mother, not a pastor or a leader in the church.
0: Yeah, I've had women ask me, like, what's wrong with patriarchy? And so I think for a lot of people, they are perfectly happy and content with the way things are in a lot of the churches of there being an order and the order is man is first and woman isn't even on equal footing as man. It's not like it's ever a tie for first place. And you, you see this in very subtle ways, but take a look at a lot of Christian women's profile bios in whatever social media medium you're looking at. And a lot of times on there, they will put things like wife, mother. And while some men probably put husband and father, not nearly as much, because I think that women put more of their identity into being a wife and mother, and men put more of their identity into maybe their position in the church or even their career. But I I don't see a lot of times husband written on men's bios.
1: And we ask why this matters because we're looking at, can women teach and preach in a church? Can women be elders or deacons? And we're going to talk about that elder deacon role here very briefly. There is a slew of verses in 1 Timothy to talk about women's role and the requirements to be a deacon or an elder in the church. My wonderful little NIV study Bible, because I'm not, I don't know Greek and I don't Have any other biblical scholar texts that I can use? It has this nice little turn to page 1840, and you'll see these 24 qualities that you should have to be an elder or deacon. Of the 24, only one is mentioned that is specifically masculine, as in husband of one wife.
0: Yeah, and that very well could be in the framework of if you are a husband, it's to be a husband of only one wife, as opposed to having many, many concubines.
1: (laughs) because <laughs> that would be the only alternative. <laughs> I like the word. Anyway, what's fascinating to me is that there are 24 of these in my NIV study Bible, and the other 23 are great qualities, like you're self-controlled, you're even-tempered, you're not given to drunkenness, you manage your family well, all these wonderful attributes. And then they, we have this society, this Christian patriarchy that pulls the one quality out of 24 maybe even out of context, and says that is of the utmost importance. Only men can be deacons now.
0: Yeah, and clearly Steve and I have personal experience with this, and that's why we're speaking um, with this particular frustration. And that is because some of the churches that we've been a part of have been very adamant, very adamant about elders being only men. And then we look at these 24 qualities and Steve and I are thinking, what? What about the other 23? Why are they not as important? And like Steve said, we might have misinterpreted the one out of 24. That might just be that, you know, if you happen to be married, it's of only one wife kind of thing. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to be male.
1: And Beth Allison Barr takes this on head on in her her book. She talks about. That leaders harp on this 1 Timothy 3 collection of verses and all these male gendered words.
0: Right. Because if you look up those verses, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13, there are quite a few male pronouns. Go ahead and look up those verses. Normally 8 to 10 male pronouns within those verses.
1: But that's the English Bible. What does the Greek Bible have for us?
0: This was like mind-blowing. The Greek text uses the words whoever and anyone. The only specific reference to man appears in verse 12, and that is talking about one woman man, and that's referencing the married state of deacons.
1: Right. So here's where the conclusion comes. The, The problem with female leadership is not actually the biblical text. It is the relentless and dominant narrative of male bias in translations. Yeah, and that's a direct quote from the book, Um, but it's so good.
0: Male bias in these translations. You can't forget about it, people. It has been happening through the centuries. And so Beth Ellison Barr talks about how I'll just read this quote. She, she actually quotes Randall Ballmer, and she says, What evangelicals have failed to realize, explains Randall Ballmer, is that the traditional concept of femininity that we believe to be from the Bible is nothing more than a 19th century construct. Oof.
1: Yeah. We've got this idea of christian patriarchy euphemism often heard as complementarianism and we're against it you might wonder if you're against this why is there a conversation to be had well we understand that that's not everybody's position and we want to have this conversation and then we also understand that some people when they have this conversation and they see the secular world promoting or allowing more women in leadership positions and minimizing patriarchy as it once was the reaction is well the christian church needs to be set apart and so now we can be different by maintaining patriarchy
0: i mean that's just totally flipped around here and yes i get passionate about this because it doesn't make any sense the early church clearly called to be set apart what means being set apart not following patriarchy. And now all of a sudden we are twisting this all the way. it's like we've come full circle in the most wrong way possible. And now we're saying, well, we have to be set apart from the secular world and maintain our our structure, meaning patriarchy, in our in our churches and in our homes.
1: Right. And I really enjoyed this quote from the book. It was mainly Dorothy L. Sayers talking to C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis in this situation was asking her to support his side and prevent female ordination. And she responds in just a fantastic way. I'm going to read it to you. She tells C.S. Lewis, I fear you would find me rather an uneasy ally. I can never find any logical or strictly theological reason against women's ordination. In so far as the priest represents Christ, it is obviously more dramatically appropriate that a man should be, so to speak, cast for the part. But if I were cornered, and asked point blank whether Christ himself is the representative of male humanity or of all humanity, I should be obliged to answer, of all humanity. And to cite the authority of St. Augustine for saying that woman is also made in the image of God. She just says no to C.S. Lewis.
0: Yeah. C.S. Lewis is, I mean, I think most Christians love and adore C.S. Lewis. And we think that he is theologically sound, and we just need to remind ourselves that even somebody that we love and adore and respect is still flawed. C.S. Lewis is not a perfect theologian, and we can't see him as that. We also can't see Beth Allison Barr as a perfect theologian or a perfect historian. People are all flawed. We in talking about all of these topics that we talk about on this podcast are flawed. We're doing our best, but we're flawed. So be careful. I'm saying that to me too, when we uphold people and put them on this pedestal, as probably many of us do for C.S. Lewis.
1: Let's talk about where Christian patriarchy has gotten us. What has it gotten us? Well, in male-led churches in the last hundred years, It's not necessarily been rampant, but it has been prevalent enough that it deserves a mention. And that is sexual abuse scandals, sexual harassment scandals. This is what we get with male-led churches. That doesn't seem right. And if we want something to change, if we want to stop that, maybe instead we choose female-led churches.
0: Yeah, and it's not like we're saying... Everything needs to be flipped around so that it's only female leaders. And I feel like sometimes that's what the church thinks is going to happen. Oh, well, if you start giving them, you know, these responsibilities or these privileges, they're just going to take over? I mean, really? Do we think that? I think that's ridiculous. But I think, wouldn't it be nice if it was equal? You know, there was about an equal number of, of male and female preachers out there elders out there. Because right now, it is
1: absolutely not. Right. But what's so funny about that is let's look at our lives. Did you learn from female teachers in college? Yes, I did. Okay, that's normal because you're a female, so that would be fine. But I also learned from female professors in college. At our Christian
0: college, mind you.
1: Whoa. That seems weird. I was taught by a female? Isn't that heresy?
0: Can we think back to our classes in our Christian university? Were any of our Bible classes taught by women professors? Because I I honestly can't really remember Absolutely,
1: I had one. She was my honors teacher. She taught Luke X.
0: Okay, that, hello. And that's a good thing. We want that. But I just don't understand why this is such a big issue. But if it's in a university, it's fine if a woman teaches a Bible class, but not in a church. It just seems like Christians aren't even being consistent in what they're saying. So, I mean, come on. If we're allowing women to teach (laughs) Bible classes in university, like, why don't we just go ahead and say, hey, you're a woman and you want to be a preacher and you want to study and do that? Great.
1: Yeah. The thing is, it's already happening. And that's where this pushback comes from women are already taking leadership roles. And if the church doesn't allow them to take leadership roles, they're just going to be leaders outside the church and they're going to leave the church. And you want to know what destroys a Christian family most? When they leave the church.
0: And just in a moment of honesty here and vulnerability, it is difficult for Steve and me to even think about joining a church community. And that's a whole other issue because... We don't want to join a church that supports patriarchy in any way. And it's kind of like this deal breaker situation where we know we're going to go into a church and there are going to be flaws and we understand that. But then it's this whole thing of, well, where's the line? Where do you draw the line of like, what is a deal breaker or not? You know?
1: Right here. I drew it. (laughs) (laughs) And because you're a nice, submissive wife, you're okay with that line.
0: Whatever you say to your
1: husband. <laughs> Actually, I think it's just because you're a woman. You're okay with that line. Anyway, we digress. So here's another interesting aspect to where some fury comes from. Maybe you're familiar with the term misogyny.
0: I just like that you use the word fury because it reminds me of that quote. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. So great.
1: Anyway, so misogyny, basically the hate of women. Uh, we're familiar with this. When you, when you belittle or subjugate, women, you know, you're, you're thought of as being a misogynist. Do you have any idea what it is if you're a woman and you hate men?
0: Yeah, we had to look this word up because though I'm looking at it right now and it seems
1: like it rings a bell, I don't even know, but it's called misandry. Right. There's a reason we don't hear of that as much. They don't even have the power to have that word out there in circulation. Instead, we use the term feminist. If you look up the
0: denotation of the word feminism, it says the advocacy of women's rights on the basis of equality of the sexes. Nothing about like, we're going to put men down and we hate them and they're lesser than we.
1: Right. So you have these two different things. We've turned feminism into a negative attribute.
0: And by we, I think he means conservative Christian churches and not all, but it, it's something that you hear. You hear it in the news. You hear it in Christian circles that feminism is this like slippery slope of just turning all the churches into these crazy liberal free-for-alls. It's like, wait, back up. It's just about equality, people.
1: Right. Whereas misogyny is about hate. Feminism is about, is an advocacy, totally different. And again, misandry, I hadn't really ever heard of it.
0: Right, right. So uh, this episode, I feel like has been Steve and me expressing a lot of frustration, but ultimately, you know, we read this book and it affected us greatly. It was going through history. It was giving us examples it was very logical. It, it provided a lot of proof and evidence and, you know, giving us the original language of the Bible, all of these things that we felt strongly enough about that we could trust. And so, yes, we are frustrated because we have been doing our best, but now we know better. So now we need to change we need to go forth and try to be even better because we have new and different and better information. So we do want this episode to be about hope. Hope that we can make changes moving forward.
1: Hope that the evangelical church can make changes going forward. And all Christian churches, really.
0: And for those of you who are listening and are maybe still thinking, like, I just really don't see anything that wrong about complementarianism and having the man as the head of the house and you know deferring to him in decisions and letting him lead in in the home and in the church please read the book Because I don't believe, after having read this book, that that is what God calls us to do. I think that by having the man as the leader in all of these situations, it is going against the will of God. So I would encourage you to read the book and not just do the Facebook research, but read the book. She lays out so many things in such a logical way that Steve and I— Came away from the book thinking, okay, we got to do things differently now.
1: And even as I heard you saying again about the leading in the house or, you know, whatever, I think it's okay if a man does lead in the house, but I also think it's okay if the woman leads in the house. If one person is more prone to being a leader and the other a follower,
0: right? that's okay. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm thankful that you clarified that because i think it is just a decision that you just both have to make the decision is equal
1: yeah there are conversations to be had not declarations to be made and so well i do declare <laughs> so <laughs> sorry <laughs> so we do have hope we have hope that it will change we have hope that it'll be better and we hope that Instead of waiting for the secular world to eliminate patriarchy and then the Christian world to catch up, that the Christian world leads. And then they stop that patriarchal or complementarian role right now. Yes.
0: So let's be set apart, Christians. Let's be the leaders here. Let's take a stand and say, this is not what God wanted for us. We're going to end this episode with a quote from the last chapter of Beth Allison Barr's book, The Making of Biblical Womanhood. She writes, what if we realize that even when the male disciples pushed women away, Jesus always listened to women speak. Complementarianism is patriarchy, and patriarchy is about power. Neither have ever been about Jesus.
1: We are... Red Weather Christians. I'm Jen. I'm Steve. Keep the conversation going.